All right. And that's a backer. Thank you. <laughs> We're sitting in the book of Abacca tonight. Kathy Pollard is homesick tonight? Okay. Okay, tonight we're in the eighth of the twelve minor prophets, and tonight we'll be studying Habakkuk. And Bobby, that's on page 1310 for you. <laughs> okay, it's, it starts out by saying uh, the oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet Saul. What do some of the other translations say? Say again. Burden. Burden. Mm-hmm. Why would you think it would be a burden? Think about what he's about to say. He's expected to say he, he thinks. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Right. Why? And it's a burden too because Judah has sinned and God has now said enough's enough. So he's now saying it's time. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Abaca. We know from verse 1, chapter 1, and verse 3, verse 1, that he's a prophet. Now, some will go back and go to 2 Kings 4, verse 16, and talk about the fact that this was the son of the Sunanite woman that Elisha raised from the dead. But it can't be because it doesn't fit our time frame. Uh, others have speculated, and this is all Jewish legend, uh, that he was the watchman that Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 21, verse 6. Uh, but again, it doesn't fit our time frame. So really, we don't know any more about Habakkuk except that he's the prophet. Now, when you read commentaries, it says when it talks about the prophet, that he was a prophet from the a school of prophets, which was started by Samuel. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know. We just know that he's called the prophet. And Haggai, and if I'm not mistaken, Zechariah are also called the prophet. So he's a professional prophet is what these commentaries are saying, but we don't know. The only thing we really know is from verse 1, 1 and verse 3, verse 1, that he's the prophet. Okay, uh, it can be broken down into, uh, it's three chapters, and it's easy to remember if you break it down into these simple three, and I wrote it here, uh, chapter one, watch and see, chapter two, stand and see, and chapter three, kneel and see. Uh, I chose to break it down into six categories because it seems to be what is presented uh, in the book more fully. He starts out by saying, uh, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes before perverted. So here we have Habakkuk. And like I said, it's different from the other minor prophets in that the fact that he is talking, the audience here is who? Who did he? God. Now the other minor prophets, it's usually to Judah or Israel. Okay, But here it's to God. What other book can you think of where 
injustice is addressed as far as in one of the books of the Old Testament. Starts with a J. Job. (laughs) Job has the same question. He's talking about how the fact that here is violence, here is things going on, I don't understand, why is it happening? And we're going to see that God doesn't change. He's never changed. He's the same God in the Old Testament as, as he is in the New Testament. But we're going to see as this complaint goes up before God, and God's going to answer that. And he starts that in verse number 5 where he says the Lord's answer. And he says, and he's talking to Habakkuk now. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing work in your day that you would not believe even if I told you. And then he goes on to talk about that he's going to raise up that bitter and hasty nation, the Chaldeans, which of course is the Babylonians. Okay, then he goes on and he talks about how they're going to march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their horses are swifter than lepers. And he goes on and on in this descriptive language of how bad the Babylonians are. Now remember, our timeline here is probably 609 to 589 B.C. So when you're looking back, Babylonia has not really come to much power yet. Okay, Now, during this time, who is on the throne? Who is on the throne? Now, some will say Joash. But now he gets killed where? Does anyone remember? He goes to fight the nation of Egypt. And he gets killed. Now, how old was he when he started his reign? Anyone remember that? Eight years old. And he reigned for how many years? 31. Yeah, right around 31 years. So he dies in the battle when they go to fight the Egyptians. Okay, so he's replaced by Joachim, which is his son. Now remember Joash, what did they say about him in the Bible? What kind of king was he? He was a good king, a righteous king. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now his son comes along, and what did they say about him? He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the reason I think we can place this particular book during that particular time. is because he's going to talk about the fact, as we just read, about the injustice that's going on. Because people, the government, and even the everyday people are not obeying God anymore. They're now turning against and doing things which... Joash has tried to reinstitute the law and reinstitute the covenant. But now they've gone back into sin again. And it says the laws perverted, the wicked surround the righteousness. So all of this is saying that Judah has now gone back again into sin. And Habakkuk here is just, he, they say, this is historians now because we can't prove it, but Some think he was a Levitical priest, that he was a temple priest, and that he actually was in the temple. That was his station. Okay. And he's crying out to God. You know, why are you letting this happen? 
I mean, why is all this injustice going on? And he's going to make a complaint that he's the Holy One, and you're going to see in verse 12, chapter 1. And he says, how can you look on this and not do anything about it? So he begins to wait, and then the Lord answers in verse 5. And that's when he says, Look among the nations and see wonders and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if I told you. So basically, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to do something that it's going to astound you. You're not even going to believe it. And then he tells them what it is. It's the Babylonians. How could he use the Babylonians? That's going to be his second complaint. But right now, his first complaint is injustice. What are you doing about it? Doesn't look like you're doing anything. And don't we find sometimes feel like we're the same? That we feel the same way sometimes. We look and we see all this injustice in our society going on, and it doesn't look like anything's being done about it. But but you're going to see through this book that God is still on His throne. He's still in control. Okay. Now he just can't believe that they're going to use the Chaldeans. The Babylonians. But God says, that's who I'm going to use. I'm going to raise them up. They're going to be my army against Judah. Okay, then starting in verse 12 of chapter 1, he starts out, Are you not for everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. You are, O rock, have established them for reproof. You are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look upon wrong. And then again, he asks, Why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallowed up? The man more righteous than he. Then he goes on from verse 14 on through 16, all the way through verse 17, saying, How can you use Babylon? How can you use this people to punish the chosen people of God? But he says, I'm going to do it. He goes on to say in verse 17, is he, not, is he then to keep an emptying his net and being mercilessly killing nations forever? So he's, he's sent, sent this prayer up to God now. And he's asking the question, you know, why, why is this going on? How long is this going to, when are you going to stop? When are you going to take care of this problem? And then I like what he does in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he says to me, and I will answer concerning my complaint. So he doesn't just give up. He says, I'm going to wait. Now, this shows the faithfulness of Habakkuk, the faithfulness in the fact that he's going to wait for the answer. He believes God is going to give the answer. So he's waiting for God. In chapter 2. And then he goes on in verse 2 of chapter 2. And what is probably a key statement. The righteous shall live by faith. And it says that the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on the tablet. For he may run. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision waits an appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. And he goes on to say, it may seem slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Okay, so he's saying, it's coming. I'm telling you it's coming. Now you think, it's, I'm being slow about this, but why is he waiting? What is he hoping for? Think about it. What is he hoping for? 
repentance. He's always wanting people to repent. He's always extending his hands out to ask people, you know, accept me. Do not reject me. Do my will. But then there comes a point where he says enough's enough. And this is kind of what he's going to be telling Judah. But he's also going to be telling the, the Chaldeans or, as we know them, the Babylonians. Now, the verse that we're reading that is the key verse is the last part of verse 4. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. That's referring to the Babylonians. But that could actually refer to anybody that is prideful and that will not obey God. But then the statement, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the key verse, in my opinion, through the whole book. And you can launch off onto this into several things. If you would, you could turn over to, actually, go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. And we call that the faith chapter. Okay. Now, how are we saved? Ephesians 2, 8 now. What's it say? We're saved by grace through faith. Okay. So it's faith. It's grace through faith. Okay. So Hebrews 11, 1 says what? Hope now is assurance of things. Hope for the conviction of things not seen. For by the people of the old received their recommendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. That what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, that's what faith is. Now how do we get faith? Where does faith come from? Mm-hmm. Romans 10:17. Faith come up by hearing, hearing the word of God. So we get our faith from the Word of God. Okay. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, he launches out into what we call the faith chapter. If you look at verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Okay. Then verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up that he should not see death. Then you go down to verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as not yet seen, reverence, feared, constructed an ark for the saving of his house. So, verse 8. By faith Abraham. And it goes on and on. By faith Sarah. Verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So what does faith entail? Faith always involves what? Action. And that's what I think we always remember. You know, James said, faith without works is what? Dead. So I think that's the reason that this would be considered the key verse. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in God, faith in his word. Faith that he will do what he says he will do. And this is what Abaca is counting on. Okay. Now, I like uh, going back to Abaca now. Let's go back to verse 20 in chapter 2. And it says, I want you to look here. Uh, 
I like this verse here, and then we're going to go back and get the woes. But it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple, that all the earth keep silent before him. It's reverence. Okay. Now let's back up, because we're now into the woes of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And he gives five woes. Let me turn my page over here. Okay. We talked about the fact that he's going to punish the wicked. And also I want to mention, if I haven't already, that uh, he talks, uh, the Apostle Paul uses uh, the latter person, verse 5 uh, of chapter 1, and it's quoted in Acts 13, verse 41. And he's saying there that, let's go back and read that again. Verse 11, uh, where is it at? I lost my place here. Verse 5, I'm sorry. Uh, no, verse 5, I'm not at the right. Oh, he, verse 5 where he says, Look among the nations, see wonders, and be astounded. For I'm doing work in your day that you would not believe even if it was told. Here, he's talking to the Jews at Antioch. And that's in Acts chapter 13, verse 41. And he quotes this. And I think it's a reference to the fact that the Jews still don't understand, because Christianity is just new now, still new, that the Gentiles are going to be brought into the kingdom also. So he said, I'm doing a work that you, you really, you're not going to understand. You're not going to be able to understand it. But later on, of course, they do. Okay. Of course, back again, we talk about the fact that the Babylonians were worse in, in Habakkuk's opinion that Judah was, and that was true. But now he begins in verse 6 of chapter 2, and he places five woes. And the first one is in verse number 6, excuse me, 6, which uh, goes on down to 7. Shall not all these saying take up a taunt against him, with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and the load himself with pledges, will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be the spoil for them. You shall have, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. So, they're being punished for their wickedness. And then he turns to the second woe, which starts in verse 9. And it says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to see his nest set on high. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stones will cry out from the walls, and the beams from the woodwork respond. So again, they're getting gain by evil. And it is said that evil in and of itself will destroy itself if it goes long enough. But here we see where the Babylonians have gotten evil gain by doing wrong to these people and to all the nations. So he's placed a woe upon them. Now the third woe is over in uh, chapter 2 also, and it is starts with chapter 12. And it's the woe to him who builds a town with blood. 
Okay? And it says, Woe to him who built a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts, and the people labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the glory with the knowledge of the glory of God, and the waters covered as the waters cover the sea. That quote uh, particular is back is also in Isaiah 11 verse 9, and in Isaiah verse 11 verse 9 it talks about the fact that it's talking about the branch, which is Jesus. Okay, so it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Then he goes into the fourth woe. And the fourth woe, woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk. In order to gaze on their nakedness, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourselves and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come upon you and utter shame will come upon your glory. And then it goes on to talk about the violence done. Lebanon will overwhelm you as the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the city who dwell in them. So again, he's talking about the fact that he has humiliated the helpless people. He shamed them. And he says, in return, I will shame you. Okay. Now, verse... Uh, the fifth one, uh, woe, is in verses 18 through 20. It goes up to 18, and it's kind of odd because the woe is actually in verse 19, but it starts in verse 18. And it talks about, it says, What profit is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for it makes trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. And then here's the woe. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awaken. To a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. So, idolatry. Israel had gone back, Judah had gone back to idolatry just as the other nations. And you noticed if you went back to verse chapter 1, it goes in chapter 11. It's talking about the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and it says, guilty men whose own might is their God. So instead of giving glory to God, the one in heaven, they give glory to their own might. But back here, they're worshiping idols. But he says, woe unto this because the idols will not save you. And then again, I like that verse, uh, 20 in chapter 2, but the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. And I think I've already mentioned that's also in Psalms 11 verse 4. It says the Lord is in his holy temple. And we come to chapter 3. Now chapter 3 is different in that he complains now twice. He's complained about the fact that there's ungodliness going on in Judah and he wants to know why things are not going the way they should be going. Why is God not doing anything about it? And then God answers them and says, I'm going to send the Babylonians. And then he goes, what? You've got to be kidding me. You're going to send people 
that are worse than us? And he says, yes, I'm sending the Babylonians. But don't worry. And he gets talks about the five woes. And if you'll go to Jeremiah, I think it's the Jeremiah 50, chapter 50, and chapter 51, it will tell you about all the different uh, woes or things that said about what's going to happen to Babylon. Because Jeremiah lays it out pretty strong, and it's actually in two chapters, chapters 51 and chapters 50, 50 and 51. And it, if you want to read that when you get a chance, because it really explains a lot of what's going to happen. But he's utterly going to destroy them because of the way that God uses nations against nations to punish them. But he has kind of like a law that you, you can only go so far. And the Babylonians went way too far, just as the Assyrians did. So he's punishing them for that reason and the fact that they sin. Now we turn to chapter 3, and it's Habakkuk's prayer. Okay, now, some of the old texts do not have this chapter in it. They only have chapter 1 and 2. But most of them, uh, from what I've read, says this should be part of Habakkuk. And it's a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, again, the prophet, according to Shigenot. And all that word means, it's a musical term related to how a psalm should be performed. And it's strong emotion. It's, it's almost like, like the crying out. Okay? And so, he's... And also, if, you, if I'm going to back up, a lot of your translations will only have a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. They will not have this other according to Shigenach. Okay? Some will even say a psalm of Habakkuk. So a psalm could be synonymous with a prayer. But Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, I do fear in the midst of the years revive it, in the midst of the years make it known, in wrath remember mercy. He's going back and he said, God, I know what you've done in the past. You remember Exodus? You remember? He took them across the Red Sea. There was a time when this, it's going to talk about here where the uh, sun and the moon stood still. That's happened in the day of Joshua. So he's telling them, he's reminding them of things and he's asking God, you've done these things in the past. I believe in you. And I want you to revive that. It's almost like a call for revival. So he's wanting him to once again turn to God. Okay? And then it goes on to say, it's the latter part, the last part of verse 2, and wrath, remember mercy. He always wants to remember to have mercy because he doesn't want him to be totally annihilated. Because who's going to be coming through the lineage of Judah? The Messiah, the Holy One. And then from verses 3 through actually 15 is what is called a theophany. And all that really means is this way of saying, like 
God in humanistic terms. And what I mean by that is God is a burning bush. Well, God is not, you know, a burning bush per se, but it's a way of us visualizing. So he goes through here, and again, he says, And God came out of Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, and his splendor covered the heavens, the earth were full of his praise. And Selah, that word Selah just simply means a pause. So he's pausing there for you to think back about what he just said. Okay? And then he says that the God's going to come, and it's actually coming from the south, if I, if I remember correctly. And then it goes on to talk about his brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his powers. Before him were pestilence and plagues. Of course, that would make us think of them being in Egypt when the ten plagues followed him. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations, and then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank slow, and his were the everlasting ways. And then it goes on, continue to talk about it. And then it says, in verse 10, the mountains saw you and withered. withered. The raging water swept on. The deep came from over forth voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. And that was the, what I was telling you a minute ago. Or if you can look back in Joshua 10, verses 12 through 14, it talks about when they were in battle that the sun and the moon stood still until they could finish the battle, which they defeated. Then he goes on, uh, You went out for salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laid him bare from thigh to neck. And then you have the pause again. You pierced him with his own arrows, the head of his warriors, who came like whirlwinds to scatter me. Okay, then he goes on, and then after he's through this, then he says, I heard, and my body trembled. My lips quivered at the sound of rottenness entered into my bones. My legs trembled beneath me. So he was basically scared to death for a better term. And then this is what's amazing to me about Habakkuk. He says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of, of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So he knows in just the near future, Babylon's coming and it's going to take Judah prisoner. Okay. And then the last section, verses 17 through 19, it's just where Habakkuk's rejoicing. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit on the vines, the fruit or the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer. He makes me tread on high places. In other words... He will simply sit, he will wait, not sit, stand, because he's standing, remember, and wait for God to show his judgment. And that is Habakkuk. And like I said, this last chapter 3 apparently was put in some type of song form, and that's why they think he was from uh, probably the tribe of Levi and was like in the choir. 
because it says the last part that uh, chore master will string instruments. So that I never could find anything on. Anybody have any questions? Y'all seem like I bored you to death. <laughs> well, that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you.